coming to you live from Race City, USA. It's Blind Spotting, the NASCAR podcast from a fresh, personal, and blue collar take. Race reviews, race previews, the latest news, and more. And now, your hosts, Michael Colbert, Andrew Coates, and Travis Sherry. All right, welcome back for another week of Blind Spotting. We hope everybody's been doing great in this second week of January as we move on into 2021. We've got a great show on tap for you guys tonight. Sarah and Bridget Burgess will be joining us momentarily, and we are so excited about that. The mom and daughter team from out in Utah racing in the ARCA West Series, and they are our guests tonight. As always, I'm... Joined tonight by Andrew Coates and Travis Sherrill. You guys doing okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, doing good. All right, awesome. And, um, you know, once again, a big thank you to Adam Peter Shin for our intro music. You can follow him on Twitter at AP Shin Music, and you can follow us on Twitter as well at NASCAR Blindspot, all caps NASCAR Blindspot. And uh, a lot of reaction, a lot of positive reaction to last week's episode, our interview with Matt McCall, crew chief of Kurt Busch, and... Uh, Thanks for all the listens and the positive feedback, and that was a lot of fun. And we, again, really appreciate Matt joining us uh, for that. Any uh, any big news this week that we want to discuss? Well, I, uh, we did want to uh, announce that we do have a Facebook page now. It uh, is at Blindspotting NASCAR. If you type that into the search in Facebook, you'll come up with us. I'm sure you can Google Blindspotting NASCAR Facebook. It'll come up as well. Uh, follow us. Like us. We'll be posting links to the, the podcast there if it's easier. and uh, be Sharing a lot of other information as well. Travis? Really, there was a couple news items this week, but the big one uh, that we wanted to talk about was Anthony Alfredo, who drove for Richard Childress Racing last year in the Xfinity Series, is now going to move up to the Cup Series and drive the number 38 Ford for Front Row Motorsports. And uh, this is a surprising move. Alfredo ran 19 races last year. Uh, in the Xfinity Series with a best finish of third at Texas. I don't know, Andrew, I, I'm I'm surprised by this move. Here's a guy that has some experience but not a lot, and yet he's jumping in feet first with a full uh, cup effort next year. I guess it was sponsor-driven. I, I don't really know. I, I'm having yeah. a hard time with this one. Yeah, definitely surprised. Now, I'm not surprised that it's with one of the teams towards the back of the grid. Um, certainly would be much more surprised if he went into an RCR ride or something like that right away. But, you know, I hope it works out for him. I, I hope he has a decent year like like John Hunter did. And, um, you know, maybe it's a springboard for something. But but sometimes I worry about these kids. They, they, get, they move up too quickly and they don't take the time to sort of develop at the lower series. And, and I just hope that doesn't, you know, I hope it works out for him. You know, I enjoyed watching him race last year. I think he's, he's got some talent. So we'll see what happens at the big boy level. We will. And I think, you know, in that, in that type of team, and you said, you know, running from the back, there's not a lot, of, a lot of pressure. The expectations aren't super high. So maybe not a bad place for a new guy to get involved and, uh, and show what he can do. And we may all be pleasantly surprised with his efforts. You, yeah. know, you never know. Yeah, and I'll just say this. He's a great kid. You know, hearing interviews with him, I would take him anywhere and sit him down in front of a marketing executive uh, tomorrow, you know, to, to, to get some sponsorship. But one thing I'll mention is a lot of these sponsors, for some reason, they don't want to run in the Xfinity series. Um, you know, they'd rather devote their marketing dollars 
to the top level of NASCAR. And so a lot of times it's not up to the driver or the team. Uh, the sponsor makes the call on these. And so I don't know if that was the situation here or, or, or what the situation was, but it'll definitely be interesting to watch uh, Anthony Alfredo and that number 38 front row motorsports team in 2021. Absolutely. And uh, maybe it is sponsor-driven, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see. And um, that, that kind of wraps it up for news. We've got the Chili Bowl uh, coming up in Tulsa this week. And next week's guest, uh, Dr. Aaron Studwell, he's going to be out there taking that event in, and he's uh, going to be with us. And I'm sure we'll talk about the Chili Bowl with him next week on Blind Spotting. Very excited to have him join us. And um, once again tonight, uh, super excited, the mother and daughter team of Sarah and Bridget Burgess, Sarah. And Bridget, originally from Australia, uh, moved to the States, and they are just trying to make it uh, up the ladder, run one rung at a time, one sponsor time, and love their story. And we wanted to get that out there, and um, so we will be uh, joining, uh, they'll be joining us uh, momentarily. So we are excited about that. I hope you're excited to hear that interview, and it is going to be a good one. So once again, thanks for joining us, and we will be taking that phone call shortly our email address is blindspottingpodcast at gmail.com andrew mentioned the facebook page and again we're very active on twitter as well so without further ado what you've all been waiting for the main event tonight bridget and sarah burgess from utah or by way of utah from australia so excited to have them and here we go. All right. Welcome to Blind Spotting. And with this week, we are joined by the mother and daughter Australian duo of Sarah and Bridget Burgess. They are joining us by phone tonight. As always, I'm joined by my co host, Andrew Coates, and Travis Sherrill. And a good evening. Uh, to you, Sarah and Bridget Burgess. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. We're, we're really excited to be uh, to be invited on and and share a story uh, in the the Australian the Australian language that we are. So it, <laughs> well, it surprises a lot of people on it when I get on the phone that I know I'm actually Australian. So I I could I could just listen to it all. I mean, and I'm glad this is a racing <laughs> broadcast because that way you get to say car a lot. <laughs> and I love I, 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 yeah, I could just just I'd like to just have that on repeat because that's that's just great. So um, so we'll start with just you know, your your story uh, through the Arca story, uh, the Arca West story, which is you know where we discovered you guys. We just kind of want to go a little bit deeper with that, and 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 Sarah, we'll start with you. How where did it start for you? Take us all the way back to Australia. You know your love of racing. Obviously, it's you're very passionate about what you do. You've raced in in different levels. Where did that start? And uh, just kind of walk us through and bring us over to the U.S. and and what led you to your decision to to come here. And uh, just and we'll just kind of go from there if you don't mind. No, no problems at all. I mean, it's it's pretty fascinating because I'm in I, like I'm I'm so wholeheartedly into cars that it never started like that. Basically, I actually started racing BMX when I was five years old. That was actually not even anything that was in the ARCA story. We didn't go that far back. But uh, my brother, he was racing BMX, and I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And so as a family, like mom, dad, uh, my brother and I, we'd go to the BMX track. My mom was like, you know, she was one of the, one of the moms helping with 
uh, I guess the timekeeping or whatever, like administrative stuff, or whatever it was. And then my dad was, you know, he would be up there on the start line uh, doing all the starts for, for all the BMX races and stuff like that. So I, that started when I was five. And then I went from there into cycling and it was the same thing. My dad, my brother and I, we, uh, you know, we all got into cycling and we, we did that racing and everything else and triathlons and biathlons. And, oh, my God, I did so many unusual. I didn't do the normal high school sports um, like I did a little and I, I excelled at it. But everything that I did passionately and competitively was not the normal. Um, and so triathlons and then I I really loved roller skating. Um, someone gave me a pair of roller skates and. I'd skate under our house, like, and things like that. And I begged my parents to like, let me go speed skating. And they're like, no, 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 you've got a music lesson on the same night as speed skating. You can't do it. <laughs> it was true. Like my, I, and I had that whole music thing going on. My dad played bass guitar in England. And so I played the organ, which is. Oh, neat. Not, wow. Okay. Not, yeah. It's cool, but it's not. It's not cool, you know. Yeah. So, um, so that that's like a really unique part of that side of it. Um, so was anyway, it was it you? Uh, so it was inline speed skating, not not ice speed skating. It was inline so speed skating. Originally, uh, yeah. Originally, it started off with roller skates, and then it switched into roller blades as technology changed over, um, and basically picked it up straight away. Um, started skating for. Uh, for Australia on rollerblades, made the Australian team for that, um, was set to go to the Junior World Championship for rollerblades, and it was just like it was it was expensive. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So we'd, we'd explored the let's go ice skating because uh, short track speed skating was an Olympic sport. There's actually funding from the Australian government. So switched to ice skating made the Australian training squad straight away and all my training was paid for. Wow. Um, which was really cool. It was a huge relief to my parents. Um, you know, the other thing too is rollerblading, like to buy a set of wheels is like a hundred dollars and then bearings is another hundred dollars and stuff like that. So ice skating, you have one pair of blades, you sharpen them and mm. we were on this, like I'd be on the ice six days a week at the gym, three days a week, all the other sorts of training. And I, skated full time and everything was around my schoolwork and stuff like that. So the year that I was supposed to go to junior world championships for rollerblades, I actually finished up going to the junior world championships for ice skating and uh, did that for three years, uh, three years in a row, made the Australian team. And wow. the year that I was actually doing junior world championships was the same year that Apollo Ono was at the junior world championships. You oh, guys all know. Sure, that yes. so, <laughs> um, so anyway, that was, you know, and that was pretty much how it was going. And I'm like, for me to 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 go to the next level, and and I had a coach that wanted to train me in Canada, and and it would be a matter of moving to Canada when I was 18. And I had it actually all set up uh, with the ice rink, where to stay, did all that research on it, and came back from from my trip to Canada, like after the junior world championships, and talked to my parents about it and try to figure out like how can I make this happen, like how can I I need to go overseas to be a trainer at a competitive level to to go to the Olympics. And we kept trying to figure it out. And it was just, it was super tough for my parents. So I decided to retire. Um, I was like 18 and a half. I wish I could have retired at 18 and a half. That sounds, (laughs) that sounds delightful. 
<laughs> I I reluctantly stopped skating um, for just for a few different reasons, like you know, but mainly like my parents just it was six thousand dollars for me to go live in Canada for just mm. six months, right? Um, and you know, and that included working at the ice, like at the at the Oval in Calgary and stuff like that. And I just I couldn't I couldn't do it to my parents, like sponsorship and and all that type of stuff really wasn't in my wheelhouse at the time. Like I was an 18 and a half year old kid um, trying to figure it out. And, you know, and, and the other thing too is like you're a speed skater on ice from a country that should like from Australia. It's like, that's like cool runnings right there. That's what I was going to say. It's, <laughs> you're, it's not like you're from the Netherlands. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, those guys get paid a million dollars like right. back then, back in 90. 1998, 99, like those guys were getting paid a million dollars for what they were doing. Um, so anyway, I, I quit that. Um, I, uh, and at the time, and, and I finished school and I was working at a grocery store. Um, it was my first job. Uh, the, here's the funny thing. I didn't know that Adam was in the cast. Like, and, and mm-hmm. how we actually met was he had a business that delivered bread to a variety of grocery stores <laughs> and he delivered bread to the grocery store that I worked at. And so through mutual friends, we met, um, we had a big banquet We and that's how we met. And basically the, the day that the night that I met him at this, this work party, he was talking about his RX three and going drag racing and all this car stuff. And I was fascinated. Hmm. I'm like, this guy, all he talking about, all he talks about is his car. I'm like, that's kind of cool. Um, you know, someone that's that yeah. passionate, that, that's all we spoke about. I had no clue. Like, I didn't know what he was talking about, but other than this car. And so basically from the day we met, we'd been together. Um, and then hanging out with him was like hanging out in the garage and we'd go, we'd go tune, like, you know, we, he did um, standalone ECU. So he'd be tuning cars and things like that. And, and we'd be we'd drive over to a mate's house and we would like he'd be driving and I learned how to tune cars from doing that. Oh no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So street tuning, but you know, we won't go into that. Um it was all stadium <laughs> <JDM> stuff. <No. laughs> um and then from there we we just basically we started working from our, our house. We we finished up having five or six cars, like customer cars and we did engine builds and turbo upgrades and, and all that. And then uh, we moved and we had a workshop and we just kept building and growing our business. And it was all, it was all drag racing based. We had a, we had a drag strip, probably about 35 minute drive from our house and date nights on a Saturday night was going to a test in tune, whether to help our customers or, you know, just hang out and, and, watch cars like usually Subarus would break going down the track um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and things like that so that's that's kind of like where it all really started um, in 2000 we did he had a business trip to the US um, and that was to basically just meet with people he was building a, a, a drag car back in Australia and um, it was just an opportunity to extend some of the business relationships that he had developed over the last couple of years and really step up what we were doing in Australia. Before I get into the next part, backpedal it. Like my dad, being English, he was a massive Formula One fan. Nigel Mansell was oh, his guy. Oh, sure. Um, didn't like 
the Andretti family because they were American and <laughs> trying to get into Formula One. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And so my dad, hmm. my dad would watch Formula One on TV, and that was kind of the best that I got to it. So in 2000, we we flew over uh, to the US, and we went to the Winter Nationals at Pomona for NHRA drag racing. And I'm like, I was excited because we, I hadn't even been to the drag strip yet in Australia. Like we'd done all this stuff with cars, but it was all street stuff. And oh sure, so it wasn't drag- professionals. What you mean, right? No, well, I hadn't even been to a racetrack when oh, I met wow. Adam. Like, so we'd been together for, oh gosh, like not even six months. And I, I follow him to the US. <laughs> and we go to Pomona for the drag racing and it's Thursday. So it's, you know, qualifying. And there's no, like, there's really anybody there on a Thursday. So we went up to almost the start line. I didn't have earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> Top fuel was on the start line. They do a burnout. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not so bad. And then they let it rip. And I was just like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And that was that moment. That was that moment of like, oh, yeah, this car stuff, I'm I'm down. I, I'm yeah. hooked. <laughs> that's my you thing. were hooked. So, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then it went on from there. Um, so I'll fast forward it up a little bit now. Bridget's looking bored already, so. So now, did, so with with Adam, did he did he he race, but he also was was he also building cars or making parts for other drag racers as well? So he just like he had a, a twenty two foot dragster with a rotary engine in it. Like everything that we did was all like um, Jap import stuff. So yeah. Ma- Mazdas um, were big with rotaries. Yeah, yeah, that was like that was that's his thing. Like he's a huge rotary fan. But we did um Evos, we did Toyotas, mm-hmm. we um uh Nissan Skylines, like the original Skyline, like the original GDR. Um we that was all of our markets. So it was a right. lot of street car stuff and then he had his drag stuff. So no Holdens, <laughs> no Holdens in the lineup? No, no, we didn't <laughs> we didn't touch the AIDS. We were like <laughs> We never worked on a Ford or a Holden at all. Like it was not, not our thing. Gotcha. Um, the fuel's too expensive, right? In Australia. <laughs> so, um, and uh, so one day, like he come from, he again, he did another business trip to the US. He comes back. He's like, we need to buy a CNC machine, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. Sure, let's do it. And so I learned how to do CAD CAM, and I made throttle bodies and furrows and oh, things wow. like that. Um, so that was really awesome. Like that was that was trial by fire, but we succeeded and made we made good stuff. But there were some rules and regulations that changed in Australia in 2007. Someone actually corrected me on on the article on this one, but basically the, the Australian government uh, made a rule that anyone under the age of 25 couldn't drive anything with a turbo or a V8. So wow, I, I, we were just like, that's our market. That's a yeah. really tough deal for us to to overcome um we'd already wanted to move to the u.s and that was kind of like the nail on the coffin like okay sure. let, let's just move to america like if we're gonna if we're gonna be broke we might as well go racing right <laughs> so, so how yeah, did the sure. how did the v8 supercar circuit handle that right i mean you know that whole race on sunday sell on monday thing that we hear in the u.s about nascar i mean if you can't get the kids interested in what they're racing on the track i mean that must have devastated that racing series huh um, V8 supercars had issues on their own. Oh, okay. Um, in the aspect of like it wasn't even about the organization of V8 supercars. All they cared about was having 
Ford and Holden. Oh. And like back like back then, and like other manufacturers wanted to come in and they're like, nope, sorry, we Ford and Holden and that's it. And it's kind of, um, you know, at, at the same time, yes, like they were, you would inspire the young young kids to to maybe own one of those because at the end of the day, anyone under the age of twenty five couldn't buy, couldn't afford to buy one of those vehicles. Brand anyway, new got it, and couldn't afford to insure it either. So, I don't I don't see it as something that affected that form of racing in got that it. aspect. So with NASCAR, NASCAR have like, you know, we don't we don't just have like Cup. Xfinity trucks. We've got Arca, um, and then Arca East, Arca West, and then you've got you know late models. You got modifieds. Right. You've got the weekly racing <laughs> series, all that stuff. Yeah. You've got so many di- different levels that just help that growth of the sport. Whereas V8 supercars, it doesn't. It doesn't really exist in in how I see it. So. Gotcha. So sorry, I interrupted you. You moved here in 07 yep. full time and then, and then we'll get Bridget. We promise we'll, we'll ask you plenty of questions. Um, so, so then you, you raced through a few different series, I guess, t- take us through what started your racing career and, and how you ended up going from, you know, driver to now kind of, you know, crew chief mechanic, et cetera. Um, <laughs> um, so, so when we moved over here, initially Adam was, was going to be the race car driver. Like that was the mm-hmm. deal. Um, he was going to do time attack. We had built a, a four rotor, a 26 B, which is super like that's it. Normally rotaries are two, two rotors. We built a four rotor in our RXA. Adam was going to be the driver. We get over here, we go to a time attack event. I'm like, this is boring. Uh, what are we going to do? <laughs> we, we, and, and in addition to that, um, you know, Adam's not super thrilled about being in front of a camera. Uh, you know, all mm. that stuff that goes with being a race car driver. So we switched the car to be a drift car and mm. we had someone else drive for us in 2010. Um, and I was just a team manager and obviously working on the car. Um, that guy drove the car well, but same deal. He didn't want to talk to people. He just didn't have the personality that we were looking for. And so we got to the end of 2010 and we're like, man, what do we do? <laughs> we're like 2011. And it's like, well, do we go back to Australia with our tail between our legs? Or do we, you know, what what else do we do? And Adam's like, well, do you want to drive? And I'm like, this is like, hey, do you want to buy a CNC type situation? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to go back to Australia. I want to learn. I'll just learn how to drive and we'll go from there. And so I learned how to drift and um, basically got into drifting in 2011. Uh, We switched to a Ford Mustang and I drifted that in 2012 and 2013. And that was, that was awesome. Drifted around the country. Sure. Uh, 2014, we actually built a Red Bull Global Rallycross car, you know, and it was, um, that was adventurous because like we did, we, we built a really cool car, but we were going up against, you know, um, Andretti, uh, trying to think some of the other teams, uh, Vermont, um, like the Subaru team, the mm-hmm. factory Jungle team. Um, so that, that was a really tough year in 2014. And we still had our partners with us. And we said, look, you know, the Lucas Oil Off-Road Racing Series um, is something that we're looking at. It's got this TV. It's got this many spectators. You know, this is where we're racing, and they supported us switching from the rallycross into 
into off-road. And so that was when basically everything started for off-road. And I I will be honest in saying I'd never driven anything on dirt. <laughs> and I'd, I'd never jumped anything 15 feet in the air. And uh, so that was uh, phenomenal and a lot of fun. And that's basically where that, – that's where we stayed from 2015 through to 2019. Uh, and that's where Bridget comes into it and – you and know, she's and she's there all along. So I mean, she was so Bridget. You were born in two thousand two thousand one. Yeah. Yes. So this is so all the while, she's right there by by your sides, you know, up take, taking lane. all this in and and learning all along, and and uh, has no choice but to but to be in that. But so Bridget, was it an exciting way to grow up? Was it? I mean, a cool way. It was certainly not something everybody else was doing. Uh, yeah, it was definitely different. None of my friends understood any of it, but it was, I liked it. It was definitely a circus life, and it, it still is a circus <laughs> life. Like, always being on the road, or everything's different. Like, our weeks are so unpredictable. One week, we can be at home, because we're, like, trying to figure out how to get sponsored, and then next week, we're, like, at the shop from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m., because we're trying to, like, get to the next race. Like, right. it's always hustling, and uh, just because it, I grew up in it, it's something that I used to. So when I have, like, a normal person day, I am so lost throughout the day. Like, what am I doing? I'm really bored. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so then you ran, me, did you run the off-road series in 19? Is that right? I started racing off-road in, professionally in 2018 18, and okay. 19. So I started racing regionals and off-road uh, in 2017. Gotcha. And what made you want to switch from, you know, jumping pickup trucks 15 feet in the air and looking like you're covered in dirt or not looking, <laughs> you are covered in dirt and about rolling them in every turn to oh. want to put it on pavement and run stock? So I, I loved off-road. It's very exciting. Um, I miss my off-road truck very much. I wish I could get it back, but... Uh, at the end of the day, every time, like after an off-road race, we would come home and watch a NASCAR race. Cause it's something that hmm. we also love. Mm-hmm. I guess if I were to put it like this, I, I loved off-road, but I'm very passionate about NASCAR. I've always had interest in it. Even when we first moved to America, I just remember like sitting in the living room on the floor as a kid, like watching Chase Elliott when he was much younger going sure. into all the NASCAR stuff. Like I remember all that. And it's just, it's something that I loved. Um, I think the most weirdest thing about NASCAR that I didn't understand when I was a kid is like, I didn't understand why it was always oval. Right. But <laughs> the, the more I grew up and like understood like how tired the cars can get after doing a couple hundred laps and how tired the drivers are. Oh yeah. And right. I, I guess that's why I fell in love with it. Cause you're pushing yourself and your car to the limit. Yeah. Just and mentally and physically both. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And then then racing oval myself, even just in the asphalt modified, my I just loved it so much because it's one of those things where you are frustrated because you always want to do better, but like uh the adrenaline to like keep moving forward just keeps me going so much. So yeah. How different is the race craft between off road and, and running something on an oval? <laughs> um, I, I say the one adjustment is uh racing cleanly mm, right <laughs> and off-road like contact is such a normal thing and mm. i remember getting the asphalt modified i didn't go in there hitting people but i remember like 
just slightly being tapped by someone else and how easy it was to spin out. Yeah. So that was something that I did have to learn is like, you really have to finesse your driving with oval racing and um, also saving your tires. So in off-road, uh, we only raced for like 30 minutes at the most. Right. So going into uh, the NASCAR stuff, it's like, a minimum time for a race is like an hour. <laughs> so right. mm-hmm. I definitely, I had to learn to be physically stronger and to save tires. <laughs> so, yeah. And, yeah. And, and all those body panels on those trucks are, are plastic breakaway, right? On purpose. I mean, you want yeah. the sponsors, but you, the, the sheet metal on a car or a composite body, depending, you know, that's a solid piece and somebody gets into it, it's going to unload the rear tires and away you go, you know? Yeah. I mean, in off-road, we had the fiberglass bodies and, no matter what we did to try and like keep the body on there, if you finished with fenders and a hood, you did not race hard enough. That's <laughs> <for sure. laughs> I, I that sounds like Joey Logano's philosophy. <laughs> Don't tell him I we said that. Doing, doing a race in Utah um, back, gosh, I think it was twenty. Yeah, it was twenty eighteen, and I had contact with someone on the first lap. And then the next lap, we were going through a rhythm section, and my mm-hmm. hood, my hood just like went flying up in the air, like, <laughs> oh. high, like and all I saw was like, oh, that was four hundred and fifty dollars just went in the air. Oh no! <laughs> oh yeah, the body right. and, and, and then expensive. And then the next lap, I'm like, oh, it's in pieces, and right. it's just, yeah, you know. So I mean, the fans love it because they get souvenirs, but. Um, <laughs> or their heads yeah. taken off. One of one of the two, right? For sure. <laughs> now you guys raced together. I mean, you guys were racing in the off road series together. So Sarah, you started uh, when your your off road series. You started what two thousand fifteen. Fifteen, and then uh, Bridget, you started in two thousand eighteen. Okay, yeah. so and y'all raced together for how long? Uh, two years. So Bridget actually borrowed my truck in 2017 at the regional races. And, um, you know, that was, uh, you know, she, she had to be careful because it's like, don't break mom's truck. No. She needs it for a pro race. So head to head, who, who took it most of the time? I had a better truck. I'll yeah. just start with that. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good a, answer, Mom. I had every hand-me-down you could possibly imagine onto my truck. Like there is, I think the uh, the hubs were new. Yeah, <laughs> if, if it was new, <laughs> if it was new, it came from a sponsor or um, I think the the one new thing that we only paid for was a uh, my seat, which was only a Kirky seat <laughs> uh, and the engine. Well, I mean, I think that's yeah. what, you know, the part of the appeal for a lot of people, well, and I I can only speak for us, is that you you guys know what it's like to have, all, you know, the, the borrowed parts and the hand-me-downs and the, you know, scraping it together and you're just out there because you love it and, and using what you have and you're still digging. And I think that's just, you know, not everybody is in that situation. You know, some some people have a lot of things handed to them, but you know, part of your appeal is that you guys, I mean, you guys really, really work for it, really earn it, work on your cars. That's commendable. I mean, it's it's oh. an amazing story. Bridget had it handed to her. It just had a lot of miles on it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put work into it. I didn't just 
my parents were like, oh, you want to race? All right, you got to work on mom's truck. You got to work on it. Yeah, sure. That's right. Yeah. So I worked on mom's truck for a couple of years before I even got involved with racing. And I, I didn't mind it because uh, to me, I saw it as an opportunity to learn tools, mm-hmm. how to service race cars and just normal cars in general. Because um, that's another thing also. It's not like I only work on race cars. I service the tow vehicles with my dad mm. and um, just work on all the cars that we actually have. Bridget Pub Master are changing... Uh... Differentials. I'm really good at that. Oh, nice. I got it under 30 minutes. Wow. (laughs) Well, it would take me 30 days, probably, at at least. (laughs) Um, So, Bridget and Sarah, you can chime in on this, too. When when you made your transition to stock cars, I know that somebody that was very influential in your early success, and probably still is because... I know that this individual helps a lot of people, young people, especially out on the West Coast. Talk about what Bill McAnally uh, has done for you and maybe continues to do for you to this day. Oh, it's, it's his fault that we got to suck it into it. Yeah. But... <laughs> so, when we met uh, Bill McAnally, I, wasn't, I didn't do any type of asphalt racing yet. I met him in Sonoma, California in 2019. Yeah, 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 2019. We went and, to some, I, I, uh, so I was partnered with Exalter in 2019 for off road, right? And they they had me at um at some of the they had me at the races where they had a hospitality suite, and because of my ability to to translate race car stuff to normal people, um, it was cool. <laughs> it was it was so great. <laughs> Uh, and it was so great to just capture people's attention who you would, you would never find them at a NASCAR race. And by the end of the day, they're like, that was awesome. So the Canaan West race was at Sonoma that same weekend. And we're like, okay, if let's headhunt Bill McAnally, he's the top guy for the West coast. He's the guy we need to talk to, you know, let's find out what we have to do. And, uh, you know, and, and Bridget can continue on with the story of the whole thing for that weekend. Yeah. So, uh, first, first of all, I didn't actually know you had to do stuff before you got into Ken and Asker, which is now Arkham and Arts. It's like, oh, you need to get into asphalt modifieds or late models. And for us, we couldn't really afford late models just because it has a little bit of an extra cost over the SK modifieds. And I do remember, like, I did like modifieds too. I thought they. For some reason, I thought they looked ugly but really cool at the same time. Just right. like because I knew that they were light, they didn't have like any special body. It just had like the most weirdest body on there. But these are like really big tires. And um, so, with that being said, I was my face <laughs> lit up. I was like, sweet, another race car too. <laughs> right. So um, we go. We started looking for a cheap one on sale, and. Uh, we don't have any asphalt ovals in the state of Utah. So I raced up in Idaho and there was this one modified that was for sale and it was local near where I live. And the original price that it was listed for was like eight grand. And this thing just looked like a mess. It had an <laughs> engine, it had an engine, but it literally had no air cleaner on it. Like whatsoever. Didn't know if it was going to stop. Yeah. We didn't wow. know it was going to start or anything. It looked like, there was a rat nest in it. It was bad. And mm. the car had the car had a nickname though. Oh yeah. So the that car's name was Punisher. Oh, and, uh, oh there you go. 
So I, I hustled the guy and I talked the price down to 4500 <laughs> Wow. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, Where'd so you learn that from, Mom? Any any any, uh, any ideas? Where'd you yeah, get that I, from? I was standing there and when she came out with the price, I just looked down. That's my girl. That's my girl. That's my girl. I'm like, I'm not going to look up right now. No one's talking. What's funny is that my dad, he had yelled at a lower price than what I said. And the guy like instantly said no. And then I looked the guy straight in the eye, just yelled at 4500 And he said, fine, you got yourself a deal. I was like, wow. And I want spare parts and another set of wheels with it, too. There you go. Wow. So you one-upped him and your dad. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was good. It's, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, we, uh, uh, that, that was kind of like the start of it. And we finished up racing four or five weekends, like five, five double header races up at, at Magic Valley Speedway. Plus we were still doing the off-road racing. And so the, the second half of 2019, so we're talking like from the end of July through for the rest of the year was insane. Um, there was one weekend where uh, I had to leave um, like early this, this particular, particular Saturday morning. It was the Saturday, the week before Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And I had to drive to Chicago with my truck because I had a sponsor thing that I had to attend. And then I had to go racing Crandon for Labor Day weekend. Well, that same Saturday, Adam and Bridget headed to Twin Falls, Idaho to go do a modified race. Mm-hmm. So we split, like Adam and Bridget went to Idaho. I drove on my own to Chicago from Utah. Yeah, that's that's a hike. <laughs> and did the sponsor thing. My spotter flew into Crandon for the race for that weekend. And it was just him and I on working on this off-road truck, truck while Bridget and Adam were doing asphalt stuff. And that was probably like... We, I've had a ton, like we have a ton of stories, obviously, but that was probably the worst weekend of racing. Like I never want to do off-road racing on my own again. Mm. It's hard. It's hard enough just with three people, but it's like this was this was something else. Like I was sleeping in the back of the Sprinter van at the track. I didn't I didn't shower for like four days. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, and I was, uh, you know, I was. Uh, cooking up like we had, I had a little barbecue with me and stuff like that and you know so it was just it was tough but um, everybody was staying far away from you on and off the track that's right it's <laughs> <laughs> a good race yeah. strategy there mom good race yeah, strategy. yeah exactly and uh and so we we did the the modified racing we applied for the license she got approved which was great um we actually worked with john woods um on a car for meridian oh yeah and um you know and it was just i mean john i mean it was what john did for us as well was great um just to at least give it the seat time and everything else and so we did meridian and and the car was pretty much in one piece and we're like all right let's go do another race so she did roseville and and all the time like we had been in contact with with bill with bill mcanelli you know he just he just admired like how uh how dedicated we were mm-hmm. and we'd always talk at each of the races and he's like oh you know she can test one of my cars in november and um you know to at least experience driving a good car and uh he kept his promise and she had the opportunity she actually tested um the same day with gracie and holly uh you know they're, mm-hmm. they're trd drivers and 
and Bridget did a good job. Like she, she really did a good job that day. Um, you know, it's just, she's, she just wasn't part of the TID program. Um, but at the same time, like the fact that, you know, Bill gave her the opportunity to at least drive a good car, to at least see what she had. And, and for us as parents, we're like, yeah, she's, she's a good driver. She knows how to get around. She listens. She was listening to the spotter. She improved each time she went out. Like she really proved herself from that aspect. So we're like, okay, now we've got to figure out what we're going to do. So we're trying to figure out how to put the program together for 2020. And we start working with sponsors and we're making, you know, we're making the switch from not doing off-road anymore to just concentrating on Bridget and doing asphalt. And the first race of the season, which was a bull ring in, in February, we're like, we used a car from John again because we were like in a tight situation. Except it was a different car and it was... Um, we had some issues with it. It had major issues. So <laughs> it was not... It, it, yeah, we just, we had like, it wasn't like had a broken spark plug. We had to fix that. And there was some other stuff and the the rear end gear actually broke um, 50 laps into the race. Yeah, that so, was your only DNF, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm walking back through the pits and I, I must have just had this look on my face and Bill comes over to me and he puts an arm around me and he's like, Sarah, we got to put Bridget in a better car. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. You think? Yeah. <laughs> Any ideas on that? How to help and, us there? Yeah. And, and that's kind of like, you know, um, his generosity like was just, we wouldn't have been able to do anything this year. Like we wouldn't be sitting here today talking and having this conversation when that article, that article would not have been written by Arca and a whole bunch of stuff wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for Bill just, you know, saying, here's a car, you take care of it, you set it up, it's yours to use for the year and just give it back to me when you're done. And I'm like, that to me, like he, he didn't have to do that. Like he right. had enough. He had enough going on with his own stable. Like he, he had at the start of the year, he had five cars to look after, um, you know, uh, with with his team of drivers and stuff like that. Um, plus his business, plus COVID, plus along like plus the truck program with Derek and everything else. And you know, he uh, he did that for us, and it was. You know, it was it meant every, a lot. Every race, I made sure I went up to him and said thank you for it because Absolutely. Yeah. I know that without him, I didn't, I wouldn't have raced this year. So it would have just been my first race, and that was it. But because he blended us that car, he made it happen, and I'm really grateful for that. And you ran, uh, you guys ran a nine out of eleven this past year. Is that correct? Yeah, the two races that we missed are like. Uh, my home track. I was I was really disappointed with that one because we didn't get to do Utah. That yeah. was uh, Bill. Mm. Bill didn't have the car ready in time. Like, you know, again, um, COVID was one of the biggest issues. Like, sure. you know, having having a transmission and um, you know, it, it was a very poor. So that's a whole other lot of stuff. And I'm I'm track operations at UNC, and it was like it was pretty hard to, you know, I was up in the tower, like actually. You know, in the control room with the with the ARCA officials and everything else, and you know, for the start of the race, and and it's like ah, you know, um, one day, one day, you know, she'll she'll have that opportunity to prove herself on a road course. Um, 
The reason why it was frustrating is because I'm on that road course every week. So it was every day. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I'm because my mom is track operations, I can go on that road course whenever I want. And uh, so watching that race, I was just like, man, the one time I had an opportunity to have an advantage over any other driver. It just, it wasn't there at that time. It wasn't meant it wasn't to be, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, speaking of, of Utah, how, so we come up, you guys come over from Australia to the States at the, at the Utah Motorsports Park. What led you there? Um, so we, uh, we moved to California. We lived in, uh, in Gardena. We lived there for five years. Um, so Bridget went to school in the LA school district. Her school was across the road from the Toyota research and development center which mm. was actually kind of cool but cool. um that is, yeah. <laughs> yeah and then uh so we spent five years there and then we moved to like elsinore and which was about 10 minutes from an off-road track one of the off-road tracks that we raced at in like elsinore we lived there for five years um the first time that we we came to Tooele, utah was in 2015 and and it was for an off-road race and we're like, man, this place is kind of awesome. Like, and this this track and and everything else. And we actually kind of liked it. We're like, yeah, it's small town. And of course, living in California was like, but it's totally opposite. And where we're from in Australia is kind of small town as well. So we come here for 2015. We race. We're like, yeah, this is kind of neat. Like, we like how quiet it is. And then uh, we actually came to Utah like two or three times in 2015, and then 2016, same deal. Uh, and we were kind of getting tired of living in California, but should we move? Shouldn't we? Like, I've got connections in California. Um, if racing ended, like, immediately, there's a lot of companies I could work for in California. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of like, that was where we were stuck. And we get in Utah, we're like, there's no car companies in Utah. There's no race shops. There's no, you know, um, aftermarket, like, accessory companies and stuff. So. Right. We had a track. We had a conversation with the management of the racetrack and said, "Hey, we'd like to move there. We'd like to have a race shop based there." You know, we we established a great relationship with the management. They loved the fact that, you know, we wanted to be there and partner with them on some stuff. They're like, "Okay, like, you know, come come move here." So, and and it was really funny. Like they'd agreed to it, and at the start of 2018, we're kind of like, "Yeah, should we go?" And we were still undecided and we raced in Mexico in May and I'd had a deposit on an apartment that I needed to commit to by June. And like, we got back from Mexico from a race in Mexico. I'm like, we need to like make a decision and we're like, all right, screw it. Let's just go. Like what's the mm-hmm. worst that can happen. <laughs> so, and so then we moved, we moved to the track. Um, I did, you know, we worked on promotional stuff for the racetrack uh, when when the Lucas Oil Off Road Racing Series raced there in June, I did all the the TV interviews with the local news in 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 Utah, um, and just helped on that aspect of it. You know, we just really enjoyed being there, and that's kind of about the reason why. And having access to the track, or having access yes. to the off road right. track, and things like that, and it helped us. Like we did some R and D on our trucks, and we changed stuff. We could go test it. Mm-hmm. And and that was the really cool thing. When I retired from, like, I'd, like, always having conversations with the management at the track. And when I, when I told them that I was retiring from off-road, they had offered me a job as track operations. And I'm like, okay, no problems. Oh, so, and just because of the experience, um, 
that I have in the industry and the relationships and everything else, you know, that's, that's basically how that worked out. Well, that's and a win-win win for everybody. I mean, they, they, oh. they got to, everybody got something out of that. Exactly. And, and that was, you know, it's kind of funny because it was us turning up to the Meridian race in 2019 and just being a bunch of outsiders, you know, like this Aussie family turning up, having no clue about <laughs> Aspen and going and racing at Meridian that, that initiated the conversation. Bill McAnally's walking around going, this is my Aussie friend, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's kind of proud that he knows this like Australian yeah. family. And, and that's where the conversation started of the, well, we used to race at Miller Motorsports Park or, and at Utah, like this, you know, changed into Utah Motorsports Which Campus. I didn't even know about until people said that. Yeah. Like, well, Hey, we used to do NASCAR there. Like, why can't we come back? And I'm like, I don't know. Let me find out. That's what started the conversation of bringing the ARCA race to UMC um, last year. So, mm -hmm. uh, so it was really cool to be a part of that. And and I didn't have it with the intentions of Bridget Racing. It's just I'm hugely passionate about motorsport. Sure. Yeah. So having that to come back was really really cool. And you know it was it was great to to have that you know racing around that track. I mean we have. A lot of Porsches and Ferraris and Lamborghinis racing there, and and to to make it a little bit more old school and have stock cars, it was uh, it was neat. <laughs> yeah, it's a wide variety. So um, hopefully it'll be able to come back again. Is it? It's not on the schedule for the, for twenty twenty one, is it? It's a it's a continual conversation. Um, okay. I know, like I'm not. I provide my my thoughts on having the race there. Um, the hardest thing. From a facility, from a facility standpoint, is is obviously the sanctioning fee. That's that's the hardest thing I think for any racetrack um, to be able to do. So I know that that there's that conversation is always it's always there between the general manager and and Ron from Arca, you know, and then and obviously if it happens, fantastic. Uh, we already have two road course races on our series. Mm -hmm. um, because we have Sonoma and we have Portland, which is great. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I mean, personally, yeah. I'd love to see I want to see a truck race there. I want to actually see, like, the upper levels come. That'd yeah, be great. That would be a lot of fun and a feather in your cap, for sure. That would be exciting. <laughs> I no, mean, so going back to the, actually, the one thing that we finished the year up well, like, um, Bridget's dad, Adam, he spotted, he spotted for her at all the races – and at the final race of the season at Phoenix, because um, I knew the cup guys were going to be there, and because of the relationship I have with Exalta, I had contacted Kevin Hamlin to oh, spot sure. for Bridget. And I'm like, hey, you know, if you're there, do you think you could spot for her? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be there, but but I'm actually spotting for, you know, for some like for one of the other other things that were there. And he goes, oh, Eddie DeHunt can spot for her. No oh, kidding. Wow. <laughs> Okay. Hang on a second. Hang on, hang on, hang on. This is by our text message. <laughs> and I'm like, he's Eddie. Because <laughs> <Can> I, <know? laughs> I know Tab and I know Kevin, but mm -hmm. I never met Eddie. So um, because I did Q&As with Alex and I did Q&As with William. Mm -hmm. um, and met, like I met all those guys, but, right. you know. Eddie had his own thing with the number nine card. I'm like, so I had to Google it. I'm like, Eddie's <laughs> the home. Oh my god! Hold on, hold on. I'm really, 
excited because I'm a huge Chase Elliott fan, so I was instantly like, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, that, that's, that's Chase Elliott's photo. Like, he's not going to want to stop for British. I'm like, no way. I mean, and if you saw the text messages that I, I sent to Kevin, I'm like, Kevin, we're not going to win. Like, we're in a 2007 car. Like, the oldest car in the field. I'm right. a crew chief. I'm her pit crew. You know, like, are you sure Eddie's really going to want to do this? And he's like, yeah, 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 it's fine. He goes, I've already spoken to him, and it's totally fine. And so then I start communicating with Eddie via uh, Twitter, and it's and I'm like, are you sure? Like, he, you know, and I felt like I felt really bad because I'm like, this guy's going for a championship, and he's going to give up an hour of his life um, to spot for Bridget in a car that's not going to be competitive. We caught up with, with Tab, Eddie and Kevin, like they, they came to the track and we met them outside so I can give them the radios for us to use. And it's the first time I've met Eddie and, you know, same thing. I, and obviously I know Kevin and Tab, so the whole, like, that was all great and cool talking to them. And, but I'm talking to this guy that, you know, and he makes things worse because then he's like, oh, it's okay. I got a championship later to get today to go with Justin Algar. Right. <laughs> and tomorrow with Kay. Sure. And I'm like, I don't, and he goes, this is just for fun. This is going to be a great learning experience for Bridget. And and don't worry about it. Don't stress. Let's just, let's just go have a good day. And I'm like, all right, we'll, we'll go have a good day. Awesome. And it was so great listening to him on the radio and everything wow. else. And, and it was, it was cool. Like just the, the help he gave her coaching her on the track and everything else. Absolutely. That is, a, uh, but, that's wonderful. That's amazing. And so, that's, <laughs> and so that was the week, that was the, the week, same weekend as Phoenix. Yes. That is, that's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. So what do, what do, you know, what did Bridget Burgess and Chase Elliott have in common? They That's had the right. same spot on Championship Weekend. That's right. That, that is, look at that. Um, I think and, we and should make it say that, that Bridget Burgess's spotter was borrowed by Chase Elliott to win the cup title. That's I think, that, I think that's, that's the headline. Yeah. Well, she yeah. lent him Eddie DeHaan. Yeah, it was cool. Like, I, you I know. Say, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 yes, I mean, Bridget... Yeah, she's a total fangirl, fangirl at Chase. So, uh, yeah. Uh, we, you know, we, all, but... we all are. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, how could you not like Chase? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, um, uh, and it's really funny because Eddie actually really didn't know who we were. He didn't know the story. Like, he, he had no clue, like, how small of a team we had or anything like that. Like, and so, and it's really funny because, of course, I'm in the pit crew. I've got to have a, a fire suit on. And so I've got my old driver suit on from 2019, which is actually my Exalta suit. And and it's kind of funny because I'm pretty sure people just presumed that I went to go get a copy of Alex Bowman's suit. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually It's actually my suit. And so, you know, he, and of course, he saw me working at the, the the pit stop and the Exalta suit and everything else. So we caught up that night with, with Eddie tab and, and Kevin. And he's like, the first thing Eddie says is like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> he's like, he goes, I can't believe what you actually did down there. 
And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, the whole, like, everything. And I'm like, yeah, we want to go race. What do you expect? Like, right. you know, and um, and uh, the the lady from the ARCA series, I can never remember her name, but she was the, the point of contact of check-in for the spotters. And Eddie had actually given her our radios to get back to us. And she had actually given him a full detail run of who we are and what we had done all year and everything else. And, um, yeah, I was, I was very humbled by the comments that Eddie had made, uh, to us afterwards about our sheer determination of getting to the track and racing and, and everything else that goes with it. So I was, I was flattered. So well, that was, you know, um, not that you you guys lack in confidence, because uh, it I mean it comes through, but it was reassuring, uh, maybe reinvigorating, uh, re- reconfirming, you know, uh, chasing chasing the dream, you know, that he, you know, someone is of his stature, and he's seen a lot of a lot of racers, you know, recognize that in you guys. Yeah, I, I absolutely, I I'd agree with a hundred percent, because there are days you question it, like you you know you question how how are you going to survive or how are you going to get through it or. You know, you, you don't you don't do it to to say, hey, look at me, um, look what I can achieve. It's I was actually talking about that with someone today. Um, he's the who's actually the owner of the Porsche I drove today, and I was I was telling him like I don't really care to race NASCAR for the money or for the fame. I want to do it because I purely want to race, mm-hmm. and I don't ask my parents like, hey, can I get a piece of like my winnings or piece of my sponsorship money? Like it's it all goes to the racing and whatever they need. So I just, I race because I want to race. And that wraps up part number one of our awesome interview with Sarah and Bridget Burgess. We hope that you will join us for part number two, and that will be coming soon. And again, we did this episode in two parts. It was a great interview, um, but it was uh, something that went for a long time just because it was an amazing interview and we enjoyed talking with them so much. So we're going to release part number one and we hope that you enjoyed that. And within just a day or two, we're going to release part number two. So thanks once again for joining us on Blind Spotting, and we hope that you enjoy part number one of our interview as much as we did recording it. Thank you so much for listening to Blind Spotting. Mm-hmm.